Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you for joining us as we wrap up another very busy week. Lots going on. We're going to get some details on the disaster aid package that was passed and signed. R.J. Carney, Director of Congressional Relations for the American Farm Bureau Federation, will give us a better look at what's in there. Uh, We're going to talk about markets and reaction to all the news going on. We'll talk with Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist for INTL FC Stone. And very much in the news, that controversial move of the two agencies, Economic Research Service and the National Institute of Food and Agriculture, as we mentioned yesterday, Kansas City was chosen to be the new location. We're going to be talking with Ron Wasserstein, the executive director of the American Statistical Association, later in the program. Uh, He has a lot of concerns about this move, and he'll explain those concerns a little bit later. Well, speaking of that move, employees at those two research agencies uh, have um, now, of course, they know where they're going to go if they are willing to make the move to Kansas City, and they can start doing that if they want to as soon as July under the, uh, the plan to relocate. Now, out of a combined 644, 547 would be relocated, although that number is a little bit shaky because we don't know about how many are not going to go. Some have resigned and uh, things like that, so others uh, probably just won't move. Now, Secretary Purdue, in, in talking about the plan and its merits, said it would save an estimated $20 million annually over 15 years and allow more funding to flow towards research And he also said it would empower the agencies to attract and retain highly trained scientific staff. Let's talk about it with Jerry Hagstrom with the Hagstrom Report. Jerry, thank you for being with us. This is a very controversial move. And um, even though the secretary was touting the, the many benefits, in his opinion, of the move, as he was doing so and explaining it to the employees of the agencies, they they stood up and turned their backs on him, didn't they? Yes, I was there. I observed it, and I took pictures of it, which I published in my Hagstrom report uh, last night. Uh, It's quite a dramatic situation in which uh, the Trump administration is insisting on this move, and all the research groups are opposed to it. The the people who are going to be moved are opposed to it. Uh, Democrats in Congress are opposed to it. Uh, but yet they're persisting. There's a lot of, of uh, theorizing here that the Trump administration simply does not want research done on subjects such as climate change and obesity and hunger. They want more traditional agricultural research, and, and uh, a lot of uh, uh, employees are leaving the agency, and that's fine with them. Uh, they don't say the the administration doesn't say that publicly, of course, but that's the theory among the people who are following this. Yeah, when the secretary talks about uh, attracting and retaining uh, valuable key employees, it may be more about uh, attracting because uh, it remains to be seen how many they're going to retain. Well, that's right. The, in addition to the issue of disrupting the lives of these people who thought that they had gotten jobs, permanent jobs with the Agriculture Department in Washington, and they have spouses who are working here, children in schools, um, you have the issue of if they move, uh, their spouses have to find a new job. And also, there are still a lot of loose ends about this. For example, they're going to move to the Kansas City area. But they haven't found a building yet. They don't know whether they're going to, the building is going to be on the Kansas side or on the Missouri side. Now they're going to ask people to make a decision within 30 days about whether to move, whether to take this new job, and that they have to report by the 30th of September. Uh, so they're not following the normal procedures that are done when the federal government relocates somebody. And that's partly why this, why the uh, employees of both the Economic Research Service and the National Institute of Food and Agriculture formed a union. 
it takes an awful lot to get professional people to form a union. It's not the sort of thing that they normally do. That's usually more manufacturing workers, lower-skilled workers. But these are people with PhDs who formed a union now. Well, I know there's a concern, and we're going to get into some of the concerns uh, later with Ron Wasserstein, executive director of the American Statistical Association. Um, But the concern is what's been called a brain drain. How many key uh, people, very talented people, that we're going to could lose in this move, and how that impacts uh, the information that that comes out of these agencies. Well, that's right. At the bottom of this is what is the quality of this science. And these, uh, the, the researchers are saying that they need to be in Washington because they interact with other agencies like the National Science Foundation and the National Institutes of Health. And if they're out in Kansas City, that is not going to be as possible. Also, I would point out that a lot of this work is dealing, is dealing with international trade, and it's helpful to them to be in Washington where the embassies are located and the international institutions like the World Bank uh, and the International Monetary Fund. They're going to be away from all of this. In terms of attracting talent, the big question you've got is since most, in most cases these days, both the husband and the, and the wife work, uh, the, there are two people and a couple work, are there going to be jobs in Kansas City for both uh, for both people? Uh, and uh, that's that that is a real uh, real concern. And there's a possibility that agriculture could lose a lot of talented researchers. Of course, a lot of happy people in Missouri and Kansas, and uh, that's the other side of the story. And uh, we'll be uh, talking about that as we go along as well. Um, any. Any information that you've been able to pick up on, Jerry, uh, when we might hear about the market facilitation program payments, any details, any information? Uh, Well, uh, yesterday, uh, Ted McKinney, the Agriculture Undersecretary, uh, said that the rule is now at at the Office of Management and Budget, and therefore they cannot talk uh, uh, details. But the most important thing that came out in the Senate Ag hearing yesterday was that Senator Stabenow, the ranking member, revealed that uh, USDA has only got $7.7 billion in spending authority left under the Commodity Credit Corporation for this fiscal year. Now, they're promising $16 billion in aid divided into three tranches, but that pretty much means they can't spend more than that amount before September 30th when that fund would be replenished. If they were to spend more, they'd have to go to Congress to get it, and I think it would be really hard to get Congress to vote for more money uh, for this pro- for this program uh, at, at this time. Well, lots of questions indeed. All right, Jerry, thanks for the update. All right, talk to you again soon. All right, take care. Jerry Hagstrom with the Hagstrom Report. Well, what's in that disaster aid package? Uh, how does it break down, and uh, what's it mean for folks very much in need, uh, whether from hurricanes or wildfires or flooding? Uh, we're going to talk about it with R.J. Carney with the American Farm Bureau Federation. Get an update there and uh, get the latest on what's in that disaster package. That's next. Stay with us here on AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Soybean growers are going all-in on Ingenia herbicide. Now BASF is going all-in on Ingenia growers. We're so confident in the performance of this solution, we're now backing it with the Ingenia herbicide weed control guarantee so you can have true peace of mind. And you can tap into our expanded Grow Smart Rewards program and get cash back. Go all-in today at IngeniaHerbicide.com. Grow smart with BASF. Always read and follow label directions. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Recently on Adams on Agriculture. So we just talked with Nick Giordano with the National Pork Producers Council. Obviously, they are ecstatic that the uh, metal tariffs on Canada and Mexico have been lifted. We can talk about that as well with Colin Woodall for the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. Colin, this was looked at as a, a must have to get USMCA moving forward, and I know you at NCBA are happy to have uh, those tariffs lifted. We're extremely happy to see these tariffs lifted. 
Now, we're in a little bit different shape from our friends in the pork industry because they were really getting hammered with the tariffs. But we were also, though, however, really pushing to try to get these tariffs taken down because we knew if we wanted to have a chance of getting a vote on USMCA, the tariffs were going to have to be a part of this deal. So the fact that this is done uh, earlier is, I think, going to be overall very beneficial to uh, the process of getting a vote and finally passing USMCA and putting this chapter behind us. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. You're going to need me. You're going to need us. All of us. You're going to need our technical skills. Our math. Our engineering skills. You're going to need our help with your water. Your air. Your food. You're going to need our organizational skills. Our problem-solving skills. You're going to need our determination our honesty, our compassion. You're going to need the next generation of leaders to face the challenges the future will bring. And we promise we'll be there when you need us. Today, 4-H is growing the next generation of leaders. Support us at 4-H.org. 180 over 111, and I had a stroke. When I woke up, I couldn't speak, I'd walk. 145 over 92, and then I had a heart attack. 182 over 100, and I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest, and then a stroke. Everything changed. It felt like my life was over. This is what high blood pressure sounds like. You might not feel its symptoms, but the results from a heart attack or stroke are far from invisible or silent. 150 over 90, and I had a stroke. If I would have followed a treatment plan, I would not be in this situation. 180 over 110, and I had a stroke. And I'm 33, so I never see this coming. If you've come off your treatment plan, get back on it. Or talk with your doctor to create an exercise, diet, and medication plan that works for you. Go to loweryourhbp.org. Head to toe, everything's changed. Head to toe. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Well, it took a long time, but finally the disaster aid package was uh, passed, and now we try to figure out just what's in there. Let's talk about it with R.J. Carney, Director of Congressional Relations for the American Farm Bureau Federation. R.J., thank you for joining us. Can, can you break it down for us? It's, it's got to cover a lot of things like uh, hurricanes, fires, and floods. Uh, can you break it down for us? Well, Mike, I, I think as you alluded to right in the, to kick it off, uh, it's, it took a while to get here. Um, but the first thing that uh, we, we should take note of is that when there was finally a compromise bill, uh, it passed overwhelmingly with bipartisan support in both chambers and the president's signature. So um, we're, we're pleased we can talk about implementation now and move past uh, trying to get a disaster bill passed. As you said, it, it, it includes a, a variety of different um, aspects within the USDA's uh, portion of disaster assistance. Uh, to kick it off, the largest portion is going to be just over uh, $3 billion in farm disaster assistance. Um, it also includes uh, $480 million in emergency forest restoration programs, uh, $435 million for the emergency watershed protection program, an additional $558 million for the emergency conservation program, $150 million for community facilities grant programs, and then it did also include uh, something that was one of the cruxes in, in, in getting a final bill passed, um, assistance, uh, nutrition assistance for Puerto Rico, which was a $600 million for its nutrition assistance for Puerto Rico program. So there was a, a lot included uh, within the disaster package. Um, right now we're talking and speaking with USDA, and uh, just earlier this week we got a little bit of clarification on a couple of questions that have been on top of farmers' minds um, when looking at this bill and how USDA plans to implement that. 
So um, still a lot unfolding as USDA is looking at how they're going to begin the implementation process. Has any money gone out yet? Not that I'm aware of. Uh, I'm not aware of any money that's that has gone out yet. Um, at, at this point, uh, I guess I said uh, earlier this week, USDA uh, released two different um, frequently asked questions, uh, trying to um, put an end to a lot of the rumors that that had been circulating around the coffee shops and around uh, rural America on what the disaster aid really included. So I would highly recommend any folks um, who have very specific questions on how this bill uh, will be implemented and USDA's take on it uh, to visit the USDA website, which has a great breakdown um, with regards to some implementation processes. Yeah, it took a while to pass it, and sometimes these things take a while to implement. That is true. Uh, you know, the, the, the leading question um, that was, uh, I would say, we, we heard the most of here at the Farm Bureau, um, and we are hearing from other commodity organizations as well, uh, was there's a, a section within the disaster bill that uh, authorizes USDA um, to offer a 90% compensation for losses caused by preventative planning in 2019. So this was something that really was getting a lot of uh, attention. Um, and USDA, in its clarifying comments uh, earlier this week, uh, what they basically said was, yes, they were authorized uh, within the bill um, to provide up to a 90% compensation for uh, losses pertaining to preventive planning in 2019. However, um, as I said, there was just over $3 billion in allocation uh, given to USDA. And USDA plans to be very judicious with, the, with distributing that, that funding, that $3 billion. So farmers should not anticipate uh, receiving that full 90% uh, with regards to preventative planning, which was one of the leading uh, questions, and I said, uh, rumors that were circulating uh, throughout the countryside. Yeah, a lot of questions about that, and it seems like when they try to clarify it, sometimes it makes it even more confusing. It, it certainly can. Um, I, I think uh, really what, what USDA is trying to focus on now and is just to be as realistic um, and forthcoming uh, with all those that have been impacted with by disasters both in 2018 and 2019. Um, there's, there is going to be a significant amount of money uh, that was allotted to USDA. In total, it was a little bit more than $5 billion dollars. Uh, most of the attention has been focused on that $3 billion, which was regards to the um, wildfires and uh, hurricanes indemnity program, which is going to be the allocation uh, mechanism to distribute a lot of this money for farmers, ranchers, rural communities that have been impacted by the disasters in 2018, 2019. Um, so USDA is going through that process. There's still uh, many questions that need to be answered. One, for example, um, is on regards to the harvest price option. Uh, this is another area where USDA was given the authority to compensate producers um, and, and uh, on the higher of the projected price versus uh, the harvest price uh, with regards to losses uh, in preventative planning as well. Uh, USDA is right now reviewing that um, and trying to find some legal flexibility uh, to implement that authority. So what they said is we know that authority is given and is granted, but right now we're going through an internal process, review process, to make sure we, we make this uh, a legal um, distribution in terms of looking at the harvest price option. So there are still many questions that, that need to be answered. Um, right now we're awaiting USDA to go through that internal process and uh, look forward to them releasing some more information here, um, hopefully sooner rather than later. We're talking with R.J. Carney with the American Farm Bureau Federation about the uh, recently passed disaster aid package. So basically what we're saying here, R.J., is while we're trying to figure out what's in there, uh, USDA is trying to figure out what's in there and then how to, uh, to implement it. They're still trying to – they're going through the process. So until they know, we're not going to know. That's right. We're, we're waiting for some clarifying um, uh, decisions to be made uh, over at USDA. Um, I think the, what was very helpful um, at this point was getting out that 
that 90% uh, compensation for losses uh, with regards to preventive planning in 2019, uh, putting that uh, rumor to rest, um, even though uh, they were granted that authority, just to keep in mind, there's not enough um, funding within that $3 billion uh, to provide um, assistance up to that 90% uh, threshold. So there will be a lower threshold. Uh, what that threshold is, we USDA did not announce. Um, again, trying to um, go through their process and wait and see what uh, decisions are made uh, by USDA for implementing the disaster bill. And another area that got a lot of attention uh, during the flooding, uh, collapsed grain bins, lost grain during the flooding. What's in there for that? So that, uh, for the uh, loss of on-farm stored commodities, um, that still will also take place, and that funding will come through that $3 billion as well, uh, through that wildfires, hurricanes, and indemnity program at, at USDA. So that's where a majority, uh, the greatest majority of USDA funding uh, will be for farm disaster assistance. So that's going to include uh, the storage bins, uh, preventative planning, also for losses for uh, natural disasters, um, including trees, bushes, vines, and milk. Um, there's even going further back, even though most of this discussion has been regarding 2018 and 2019 disasters, um, there's uh, provisions within the bill that allows for agricultural losses of peach and blueberry crops in 2019 as well, um, as long also uh, farmers that were impacted by the tropical storm Cindy. Um, and I believe that was in 2017 uh, that that took place. So um, there's a lot of, a lot of areas um, that this bill is trying to, to cover. Um, we're thankful that Congress was uh, able to push us across the finish line and, and get it signed in the bill, and now we're waiting for USDA to be able to start allocating some a lot of these funding uh, to areas most in need. Yeah, the help is needed. It's been needed for some time. And uh, as you point out, a lot of areas to cover. With uh, it'll, it'll be spread out uh, and maybe spread pretty thin. So that's, that's uh, why I believe USDA was just trying to be as realistic as possible um, when they, again, getting back to that 90% compensation, putting that to rest. Um, they, they'd be very unlikely, as the uh, FAQ says on the website, very unlikely. Uh, that they would be able to get to that 90% threshold. Uh, so we anticipate, uh, reading just between the lines there, that that's going to be uh, lower. Um, but there will be um, some uh, allocations that are allowed for uh, disaster, uh, preventive planning disaster areas. Okay, so we wait for more information. But thanks for giving us uh, the latest on it, RJ. We appreciate it. Thank you. All right, Mike. Have a great day. Thank you. RJ Carney. Director of Congressional Relations for the American Farm Bureau Federation. Lots to talk about uh, with the markets and reaction to all the news. Arlen Suderman with INTL FC Stone joins us next on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Hi, I'm Greg Peterson of the Peterson Farm Brothers. If you've seen our videos, you know we're proud to be farmers. Farming can be dangerous. Never assume location or depth of underground utilities or pipelines. Before you start any work on your farm, call 811 or visit clickbeforeyoudig.com to have underground lines located. It only takes a minute and can save your life. Never assume the location or depth of underground lines. Always call 811 or visit clickbeforeyoudig.com before you start work. A message from the Pipeline Operators for Ag Safety Campaign. Want to reduce your risk of heart disease, diabetes, and stroke? Simple. Eat right. This is registered dietitian nutritionist Melissa Dobbins. A healthy diet can mean a healthier you. So eat a variety of proteins each week. Seafood, lean meat, poultry, beans, and nuts. Fill half your plate with fruits and vegetables at every meal. Choose foods that are lower in calories, fat, and sodium. Limit your alcohol and maintain a healthy weight. Let a registered dietitian nutritionist help you achieve your goals. Find one near you at eatright.org. Time for a market check here on Adams on Agriculture. For the American Ag Network, I'm Kirsten Rawl. Grain markets continue to add to recent gains with acre and yield speculation running rampant. Markets will continue to rally on uncertainty. 
Concerns are growing louder that soybeans may be joining corn in respect to yield and acres. Corn prices are firmer on Friday as we are still receiving reports from South Dakota producers seeding corn and soybeans regardless of the date on the calendar. The soybean market is higher after it posted a surge in futures on both Wednesday and Thursday with concern growing about the number of unplanted acres. The wheat market is losing ground after overnight electronic trade gains. Plenty of concern about crop quality out of the southern plains with the pending forecast, but the bushels are expected to be there. Feeder cattle trade this week continues to focus on sharp gains in corn prices. Traders are consumed by the concern of feed price moves and potential long-term supply levels of high-quality feed over the next year. Moderate to strong domestic pork demand is expected to continue through the upcoming days and weeks with renewed support developing late in the week in rib values, which could help support summer pork demand. On the Board of Trade, June lean hogs up 22 cents at 79.45. August feeder cattle down 40 cents at 135.82. June live cattle down 17 cents at 108.75. For the grain and oilseed sector, nearby soybeans up six and three quarters of a cent at eight ninety four and three quarters. Nearby corn up seven and a quarter of a cent at four forty nine and a quarter. For the wheats, Minneapolis spring wheat July down four and a quarter of a cent at five sixty two. Kansas City wheat July up three and a quarter of a cent at four seventy one and a half. Chicago wheat July down a penny at five thirty four and a half. For the outside markets, the Dow Jones is 50 points lower, the NASDAQ composite down 45 points, and the S&P is down 9 points. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture. I'm Kirsten Rall for the American Ag Network. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, We'll probably stay together. Probably? (laughs) It's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, okay, now tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! Oh, I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. Well, certainly no shortage of news. Let's look at the market reaction to what's going on. Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist for INTL FC Stone, joins us. Arlen, let's start with uh, some of the information from USDA. Um, Them dropping the uh, projected corn yield, basically 10 bushels, well, that's really, given what's going on, not such a surprise. But the fact that they made such a move uh, was a surprise to some. Did it surprise you? It, it did surprise me. I had actually made, I'd been making revisions almost daily based on the information we were getting in. And, and before the crop report uh, on Tuesday morning, I'd lowered my yield down from 167 to 166, matching what USDA did. But I never expected USDA to do that in this report. And USDA doesn't like to go backwards. In other words, they don't want to make a a big drop and then have to raise it again later. So they tend to be more conservative. So the message that's sent to the market is that USDA sees significant problems out there, that more reductions in yield and acreage are likely. And that's really helped energize this market. Yeah, for them to drop that estimate, uh, 10 bushels, I mean, that has to send some pretty strong signals if you look at the history of USDA and, and what they normally do. It really does. And, uh, you know, this was considered kind of a throw, throwaway report because we figured, okay, we'll get USDA's take and then we'll slow and quickly go back to trading what everyone thinks is happening. Well, USDA quickly on the yield side anyway went to where people were thinking. And uh, so that makes them think, 
Well, maybe we're being too conservative in our own estimates if USDA agrees with us. So it did certainly support the market psychology. I think the biggest thing it did is got the attention of the funds. They've really had trouble wrapping, and they they typically do in excessively wet years. We don't have that many of them. Uh, have trouble wrapping their arms around how can rain make grain until it doesn't. And so I think it kind of got their attention and uh, kind of gave them the permission to go ahead and to buy into the concerns. And the fact that a lot still has to go right to get to that 166 number. Yeah, I'm, I'm amazed at the, how many people in the industry I hear from almost a daily basis thinking, well, the rest of summer looks good. We've got new genetics, and, uh, you know, we could still hit a trend yield. And that just absolutely amazes me. I'm, I'm a past certified crop advisor, so I have a strong history in agronomy. Um, we do have gen- new genetics, but that plant is still a factory. It, it's a factory with new technology, but it's a factory that takes sunshine and water and nutrients and converts it into starches and sugars that are packed into a kernel on an ear. And it has to have a, a stock, you know, equally placed in, to get the population desired, depending on what state you're in, what that population is. Um, but it's got to have it to maximize that yield potential, and we've done so well with that. But you shut that factory down for six to eight weeks, which we did by planting so late. And then in a, in a situation where we're behind on growing degree units as well, creating additional problems and concerns, the factory can only do so much. So we've got a lot of challenges for this crop, like you said, even to hit that 166. All right. So the question I always ask you, where do you see this corn market going? Well, it's got to ration demand, so the question is how much demand needs to be rationed. And we've already started the process. Uh, We've went from being the cheapest corn in the world to now some of the most expensive corn in the world. We're seeing export sales and shipments drop. Uh, The next step will probably be to start seeing some slippage in in ethanol production. Uh, We're doing this at a time, though, when we've got uh, some pretty good profitable hog margins, and we're expecting beef margins to improve as we get into 2020, uh, making our demand more inelastic. As we've looked at the data that's taken place since the livestock industry integrated uh, over the last 15, 20 years, and as as the ethanol boom has come on, um, and the funds that got involved, demand has become much more inelastic. That means you get a much bigger price response to slow down demand than what we previously did. So when these funds start taking the money, they can take it for a while. Does that mean we should just hold on and ride for the top? No, but it does suggest we don't spend much time in that 420 to 520 range. We either tend to fall back or just surge right on through that area, and that's the process the markets are trying to test right now. So we could go above 520. If you start looking at the possibilities of, of the damage can be done to this crop, that potential is there. I can develop scenarios where prices go to six dollars, uh, but I think it's presumptuous at this point to say that we are definitely in that type of scenario. There's still too many questions to be answered, so I would not want a farmer to put all of his eggs in that basket. Talking with Arlen Suderman with INTL FC Stone. What about the soybean picture? Soybeans, uh, up until the last few days, have said we were still in a scenario where we could see an increase in acreage or we could see a substantial loss. We seem to be closing the door on an increase in acreage, although I still wouldn't be surprised if USDA's acreage report on June 28th, based on a survey taken in early June, may actually show an increase and could be bearish to the market. That's still a possibility. But the forecasts that have come in now are going to make it very difficult to hit USDA's initial acreage estimate. We still could see a weather pattern change in early July to see a lot late planted beans, but we've opened the door now for the possibility of prevent plant becoming substantial in soybeans like the, on the level that they are on corn as well. We still have a lot of soybeans, right? So that's still on the market. We do. And uh, my export target for the 2019-2020 year is about 380 million bushels less than USDA. 
So the markets are going to be trading USDA's numbers and not mine, because I think it's going to take a while for USDA to recognize that lower demand, maybe many months to do so. So if, in fact, we get a, a, a projection of 68 six to eight million lost acres and a 10% drop in yield, that would project a significantly tighter balance sheet. So that would justify um, some energy in the soybean market. I don't have that in my balance sheet because I've got smaller demand estimates because of the demand destruction in China, because of the larger production anticipated in, in Brazil and Argentina, particularly as we get into next year's crop. But that's not going to show up on USDA's balance sheet, maybe for the next six to eight months. And so, there, therefore, we could see USDA print some numbers that the funds would use to get a bigger run in the soybean market. If an announcement came right away on a deal with China, and it does not look like that's anywhere close to happening, but even if it did, given the loss of hogs over there to African swine fever, it's hard to see where it would be a big uh, boost in the short term uh, of soybean exports there. Yeah, I, I would agree, and we're already seeing reports that uh, Chinese importers are asking uh, the sellers if they can delay shipment of significant quantities that they had purchased for the summer's delivery from July, de- delay them to August, etc. So um, the demand is soft. Now, it's been a little bit better than we expected. We expected about an 8% increase in soy meal going to poultry. We've seen about a 15% increase. We didn't expect them to shut off canola supplies to can- from Canada from where they got the canola meal that went into aquatics. So that's being just replaced with soy meal. So the drop in soy meal demand is not as great as we expected, but it's still there, whereas there used to be an increase on an annual basis. So it is having its effect. Uh, we're seeing the drop in imports probably to 84 million metric tons this year or less. Um, and so I still think USDA's current target for old crop is questionable. And then we see another drop in next year. Uh, and that's just simply going to take the toll and, until or unless weather really cuts production. If weather doesn't significantly cut production, then the soybean corn price ratio needs to adjust acreage for next year. What's your outlook for the wheat market? When we look at wheat, we've got a lot around, particularly hard red winter wheat is in big supply. Soft red winter, we're starting to tighten that up with lower acreage. Um, so we've been seeing those spreads really widen out with hard red winter going to a big discount to soft red winter. And hard red spring, of course, has the quality, but we've got some ample supplies of that and really good crop ratings right now. So uh, the strength in the wheat market, frankly, right now is in the corn market. We do have some concerns about excessively wet weather at harvest time for hard red winter wheat. We have to watch that. So far, the early yields are coming in better than expected. We do have dryness and heat developing in the Black Sea region, as well as dryness in Australia. Those are areas of concern, and also in Canada. So the wheat story is slowly turning, and and we're keeping our eyes on that, but the real energy right now is in the corn market. And real quick on hogs. Hogs is a long-term story that's starting to play out. Uh, this week's export sales were not as much as anticipated, but the shipments were the largest of the year so far and continuing to slowly ramp up. So it's a slow-developing story, but it's still there. All right. As always, thanks for the perspective and the update, Arlen. Thank you. Thank you, Mike. Arlen Suderman, he is Chief Commodities Economist for INTL FC Stone. Well, as we started off the program talking about the controversial move of the Economic Research Service and the National Institute of Food and Agriculture, those agencies moving to Kansas City. They're happy in uh, Missouri and Kansas, but a lot of employees not happy about uh, the potential move. Some saying they won't make it. Uh, they Some got up and turned their backs on Secretary Purdue during the announcement yesterday. We're going to talk about that controversial move and what it could mean. We'll talk with the executive director of the American Statistical Association. Ron Wasserstein joins us next on AOA.
Soybean growers are going all in on Ingenia herbicide. Now BASF is going all in on Ingenia growers. We're so confident in the performance of this solution, we're now backing it with the Ingenia herbicide weed control guarantee so you can have true peace of mind. And you can tap into our expanded Grow Smart Rewards program and get cash back. Go all in today at IngeniaHerbicide.com. Grow smart with BASF. Always read and follow label directions. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Wake up and text. Text and eat. Text and catch the bus. Text and miss your stop. Wait, 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 wait. Text and be late to work. Sorry, I'm late. Text and work. Text and pretend to work. Text and act surprised when someone calls you out for not working. <clears throat> Who, me? Text and meet up with a friend you haven't seen in forever. Hi. Oh, hey. Text and complain that they're on their phone the whole time. <sighs> Text and listen to them complain that you're on your phone the whole time. Ugh. Text and whatever. But when you get behind the wheel, give your phone to a passenger. Put it in the glove box. Just don't text and drive. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A public service announcement brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Sometimes life is wonderful. And sometimes it's not. Cherish the good, but always be prepared for life's challenges. At Private Healthcare, we provide the peace of mind you deserve. With Private Healthcare, you'll get the coverage you want and healthcare you need. If your employer doesn't supply healthcare coverage and you don't qualify for Medicare or Medicaid, you need to give us a call right now. Private Healthcare is private health insurance for ages 65 and under with medical, dental, vision, and even prescription coverage. When life comes at you unexpectedly, you need to be ready and health insurance is your financial safety net. If you're looking for health coverage at the best price and your annual household income is 35000 or more, give us a call at 800-664-2612. That's 800-664-2612. 800-664-2612. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, talking with Maggie Elowani with the National Rural Health Association. Maggie, you talked about the number of rural hospitals closing. Are we also seeing uh, mergers, takeovers uh, happening uh, within the uh, rural hospital system as well? We certainly are, and there's been an increase in mergers, and, and some of those have been very positive. They've helped some small rural providers with the cash flow they need to keep their doors open. Others, and this is really frustrating, have purchased some of these facilities only to close them a short time afterwards. So simply being bought out and merging with another facility doesn't mean that we're going to be able to ensure access to care in those rural communities. So we really need kind of a long-term strategy of really thinking about why these hospitals are closing and what we need to do to change them. And it's because there have been so many different cuts that have occurred to these hospitals. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. Sometimes life is wonderful, and sometimes it's not. Cherish the good, but always be prepared for life's challenges. At Private Healthcare, we provide the peace of mind you deserve. With Private Healthcare, you'll get the coverage you want and healthcare you need. If your employer doesn't supply healthcare coverage and you don't qualify for Medicare or Medicaid, you need to give us a call right now. Private health care is private health insurance for ages 65 and under with medical, dental, vision, and even prescription coverage. When life comes at you unexpectedly, you need to be ready. And health insurance is your financial safety net. If you're looking for health coverage at the best price and your annual household income is 35000 or more, give us a call at 800-664-2612. That's 800-664-2612. 800-664-2612. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. We're excited to explore the topics that make a difference to agriculture. The Farm Bill, immigration reform, reducing regulations, trade, new technology, as well as infrastructure and health care. 
through the year, Adams on Agriculture will originate on location from several major national meetings and events. Subscribe to the show's podcast at AmericanAgNetwork.com. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. Hi, I'm Greg Peterson of the Peterson Farm Brothers. If you've seen our videos, you know we're proud to be farmers. Farming can be dangerous. Never assume location or depth of underground utilities or pipelines. Before you start any work on your farm, call 811 or visit clickbeforeyoudig.com to have underground lines located. It only takes a minute and can save your life. Never assume the location or depth of underground lines. Always call 811 or visit clickbeforeyoudig.com before you start work. A message from the Pipeline Operators for Ag Safety Campaign. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. All right, so yesterday, Secretary Purdue announced that the Economic Research Service and National Institute of Food and Agriculture would be relocated to Kansas City, and he acknowledged that uh, the decision has caused stress within the agency's ranks, Uh, but he said that in selecting Kansas City, they considered employees' requests that the new location have a low cost of living, high-quality housing, access to arts and culture, and a thriving food scene. A number of employees turned their back on Secretary Purdue in protest as he outlined the plan to relocate. Now, he went on to say that uh, there are many benefits to uh, making this move, citing the amount of money that would be saved and to be able to attract and uh, retain uh, qualified people in the agencies. But there are a lot of uh, concerns, uh, not just by those faced with the move from Washington, D.C. area to the Kansas City area, but overall concerns of how this impacts uh, these agencies and the work that they do. Joining us now is Ron Wasserstein, Executive Director of the American Statistical Association. Ron, thank you for joining us. I know you have a number of concerns. Tell us about them. Well, good morning, Mike. And let me just say to begin with that I love Kansas City. I'm from that general area. I'm a huge Royals and Chiefs fan. In fact, I was watching the Royals game last night when everyone else was watching the NBA Finals. So otherwise, I'd be very happy for Kansas City to get the Economic Research Service if this wasn't such a disaster for farmers and for the nation. It's a disaster because the administration is systematically wrecking the nation's best resource for agriculture uh, e- agricultural economic information it isn't it isn't just the relocation to the beautiful uh, Kansas City area it's that the um, the administration has attempted to place restrictions on scientists asking them to label their research as pre- uh, preliminary it's moved the ERS out of the research arm into or tried to moved them out of the research arm into the policy arm. Uh, essentially, Mike, um, the, uh, the information that farmers and ranchers have come to depend on is getting systematically pulled apart and is no longer going to be available and reliable. Well, I know a lot of people say, why does it make it that much of a difference? Other than the fact some people don't want to move, that's obviously a big part of it. But uh, some would say, why, why isn't it a good thing to get away from Washington, D.C. and get out of that, you know, uh, that culture out there? A lot of people say you get more to the heartland and more in touch with people. And, and why can't you do basically the same work there that you can do in Washington, D.C.? So it isn't all uh, at all about the move. The move is a, a simply a, a one part of, of, a, of the systematic dismantling of the uh, of this organization uh, also going on is uh, a major effort by the administration to to totally slash the budget so for the past two years the administration has uh, uh, proposed budget cuts of almost fifty uh, percent as I mentioned they have um, uh, have made moves to try to to uh, wreck the science for example uh, asking research
researchers to uh, place labels uh, uh, preliminary on their research. That might sound like no big deal to to your listeners, but um, that is a, uh, a, a sign to scientists that says um, this research uh, doesn't make sense. It uh, isn't. It, it isn't serious research. And and, and why does this uh, why does this matter matter to uh, to farmers? The, the 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 research that ERS does uh, cuts across all that that agriculture does. ERS uh, provides data on animal products, crops, farm economy, farm management, nutrition assistance, food uh, safety, food choices, and health, and so on. Everything that your that your listeners do, um, ERS and 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 NIFA provide data for, and um, the the relocation matters because the ERS is one of the world's great economic uh, uh, data providers. Um, but if that was the only thing going on, it would still be consequential. But it is one part of the administration's effort to to dismantle this institution because, simply put, it doesn't want significant portions of the data that ERS provides to be made available. Now, Secretary Purdue says this move will empower the agencies to attract and retain highly trained scientific staff. Uh, do you, do you agree with that, or do you or do you see that being a, a real issue here, being able to do that? Well, it's sort of a, a, a red herring because there isn't a problem already with attracting and and retaining high uh, quality staff. They have the uh, they have one of the great uh, staffs uh, in the world already. So it's a it's a, a, a solution in search of a problem. Uh, of course, there's there's great staff in the Midwest. I'm a, a, a proud graduate of Kansas State University, a great research institution from that part of the world. There's there's great staff available, but but that isn't the that isn't the issue. The issue is that that um, that ERS produces uh, data that the administration um, doesn't uh, particularly enjoy uh, getting released, and so they'd like to see that. Um, data no longer uh, produced. Uh, so, for example, um, the ERS uh, produced uh, uh, a study recently showing that... Ron, the, we're about that out of time. Job... Okay, so, so I'll just reiterate. Um, the, the ERS is being dismantled. Moving okay. it to Kansas City is part of the process of, of tearing down that, uh, that institution. And so... So making it, uh, moving it to Kansas City isn't something okay. that's being done to make it better. It's being done to make it worse. We'll talk more about this in the future. Thank you, Ron. Thanks for joining us on AI. This is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. 